Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. There's nothing impossible about this. The platforms, again, they pay for other kinds of content, and we have a value to deliver to them. It's just we need a fairer deal, and we should be able to get there. Thanks to digital distribution, news outlets have larger audiences than ever before, but big platforms like Google and Facebook are making it hard for publishers to benefit from that. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. David Chavern is the president and CEO of the News Media Alliance, a nonprofit organization that represents more than 2,000 print and digital news publishers across the U.S. and the globe. He's here today to talk to us about the proposed media bargaining code in Australia, which I guess they just passed, and also similar legislation that is being considered in Washington for journalists, uh, working journalists today. So anyway, David, welcome to the podcast. Great. Thank you. Very, very happy to be here. I look forward to the conversation. Okay, excellent. So first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get interested in journalism and, and how did you end up at the New Media Alliance? So it, it was kind of unintentional, <laughs> as a lot of things are in people's careers. I was a lawyer for a long time, including in the federal government for a while. And I ended up in the association business and I worked at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce for almost 10 years. I, most The bulk of that time, I was COO there. And it's a funny business. It's a very Washington business, but it's, it's one where you get to get deeply involved in policy issues. It's pretty strategic it's, to some degree, but also if you're intellectually curious, like a lot of us are, you get to get involved in a lot of different interesting stuff. So I, I really liked the association business. And I got to a point where, you know, I was looking for opportunities to um, to run an association and I was approached about what was then the Newspaper Association of America. And I was just immediately enthralled with, with the issues. One, you know, a huge news consumer for my whole life, but also the clear understanding that while there was this huge disruptive transformation going on, that there would be another side of the gully. You know, journalism will sustain the systems around it, the how it is sustained will change dramatically. And it is this moment of great challenge, but also a kind of great creation. And I just was excited about that challenge. And so I didn't bring a lot of media uh, background, but I brought a lot of how you organize industries to fight for their futures. And that's what they needed to do. So it was a learning curve on the media front, but I've been at this about five years or so now. So at least on the things that come in front of me, I, I feel decently conversant on the issues now. <laughs> you, you can fake it like, like anybody else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I guess. So tell me about the, the mission of the News Media Alliance. I mean, there are a lot of associations out there. What, what's your particular bent? Yeah, so historically, Newspaper Association of America was, it was a lot about training folks in the industry. It was a lot about data collection about the industry. It didn't have a huge advocacy focus. And I've been brought in as to really be, as has been described, to be a pugilist for the news business and really fight for a better future for it. That's a role that I take on proudly and that I'm very happy to do. It's interesting. I 
one of my first meetings with a congressman in this role, congressman was from Texas, said, you know, that he heard from the television station managers in his district almost on a weekly basis who had views, comments, complaints, perspectives. And he had never once gotten a call or interacted ever with a news publisher in his district. And there's good reasons for that. I mean, historically, there weren't a lot of federal regulatory issues to worry about. It was also a crazy lucrative industry for a really long time. So there wasn't a lot to complain about. I've sort of brought a perspective of we do have challenges. We do have things that need to be addressed. We are fighting for the future. And, And I very much focused us on advocacy and talking about the future of the business rather than the past. And another, I have to tell you, an unusual thing about this industry compared to many others that I've represented is people usually like to start the conversation with a debate about something that happened 20 years ago. And it's funny kind of affect and not all industries are like that, by the way, I can tell you, but I've very much focused on, do we want to have a vibrant professional journalism in the future, don't we? And if we do, how are we going to get there? So you were brought in as a pugilist. And what do you see as the issue that that you're fighting right now? I very much and very truly believe we're in a moment like music was 100 years ago, or local broadcasting was in the 1990s, where the distribution of our content has been not only disrupted, but taken over by new entrants and you need a to renegotiate a new deal a new value exchange with that distribution in order to sustain the business so music by the way is by point of example in the 19th century was a print business they controlled their distribution and then with the advent of recording devices and you got this broad distribution of content they had to develop music licensing over about a 15 year period to collect value everywhere music was getting played and return that value to publishers and artists. And with cable in 1990s, you know, you had over-air broadcasts that was essentially taken over by cable distribution. And you had the creation of the whole retransmission system to return value back. So, you know, this is an industry that used to have the most intimate or direct relationship you could have with a customer. We manufactured a physical product and then we walked it up your driveway and handed it to you in your bathrobe. Incredibly direct, by the way. There aren't many industries like that. You know, the tire manufacturer isn't rolling tires up your driveway. And then with the digital distribution, one, we got massive new audiences, but also we now have a couple of major companies that stand between us and our audiences and really control everything about that, including taking most of the value out of the interaction. And we, has, we need a better deal from our digital distributors in order to sustain the business. Okay. So I think the two very large gorillas in the room would you would characterize as Google and uh, Facebook. Yeah, correct. Absolutely. You know, before we turn on the microphones, we were talking a little bit, you had a, a, some questions about our podcast. And this is really kind of at the core of a lot of you know, what we've been talking about for the last eight years is, you know, how do we make news sustainable? How can we continue to produce something that's valuable for our democracy? And certainly a lot of people have woken up, I think, in the last few years that, oh, yeah, this is really kind of important. So 
in the introduction here, I, I mentioned some an initiative that had gone on in, in Australia, which the News Media Alliance had uh, thrown its support around. Could you sort of talk about that, what that was trying to do there? Here in the U.S., we're not alone in understanding there's this new moment for renegotiating the value exchange with Google and Facebook. The Europeans have had a whole set of initiatives around a new copyright that they created around news. And then you had in Australia an approach based essentially in competition policy, meaning there were a couple of companies that controlled distribution. They owe a fair deal to news publishers. And the Australian government developed a negotiating code that basically said Google and Facebook needed to engage in negotiations with news publishers. Those negotiations have to be fair and deal with fair value. And if there is a dispute, there is an arbitration system backing up that negotiation. And again, you know, there, uh, this is all new to news publishing, but, it, you know, Google and pay, Facebook paid a license music, for instance. You know, they paid a license sports clips. They paid a license a lot of stuff. They pay for a lot of content. It's just for historic reasons, they haven't had to do that with news. And now we have to develop that system for news. So, we were supportive of that proposal in Australia. It is not one that you can just pick up and transplant to the U.S. for a whole variety of reasons. You know, that is an Australian-specific system. So, and I'm happy to go into this as much as you like, but we, we've had supported some proposals here in the U.S. about how you create a negotiating system for publishers and uh, digital distributors. And we're looking for congressional action on that this year, actually. Now, I think I saw something and there was some legislation that was introduced. Yeah, so there is a, a, a piece of legislation called the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act, which would does a pretty simple thing, just allow news publishers to collectively negotiate with the platforms. You know, the current antitrust laws weirdly protect Google and Facebook from us. You know, <laughs> news publishers can't collectively act. So it, it very simply just says we could collect, we could collectively act. Um, and that bill just was introduced in the last Congress with really good bipartisan support, and it was just recently reintroduced in this Congress. There is interest from members of Congress to add to that bill in the wake of what happened in Australia. Uh, can you put structure about around a negotiation, uh, in particular, to ensure that small and local publishers uh, uh, are sure to benefit, and also dispute resolution mechanisms? And we. We don't have specific proposals on those two items, but we think both are good ideas. And we're talking to members of Congress right now about what they view as a workable system. So, you know, are, are Google and, and uh, Facebook, are they actively uh, opposed to, to this type of legislation? Yeah, they, they have uh, not taken a public position that I'm aware of, but they uh, are certainly actively lobbying against it. And, uh, um, you know, that's the na nature of the business. It, it was very funny. And I just did a hearing on, uh, on this last Friday and there was this uh, bizarre uh, kind of farcical framing put up about big media and big tech, you know, somehow some weird false equivalence between the two. And first of all, I don't know what big media is, but if you roll up all of my membership, 2000 or so news publishers, including the biggest ones to some of the smallest ones, 
if you rolled them all up, you know, all of their revenues are, you know, rounding it compared to Google and Facebook. So I'm not sure I get the big tech or big media thing. Um, and, uh, and certainly we feel the heat from the massive lobbying capacity from the platforms. But at the end of the day, we're fighting for something right. And, and there's power in that. And this is, I mean, you know, to sort of address this, this perception of the monolith of, you know, journalism of, of, of the media, uh, pushing back of this, you know, a lot of your membership, as you're, as you're saying, you know, is local uh, outlets. And they're the ones who, they're many of the ones who are really suffering with this. You know, I can remember, you know, working in, in newsroom, local newsrooms, where, you know, very early on, it was like, well, we need to, we need to get all of our stories up on Facebook and get people reading our stories there as opposed to going to our website where we can kind of control things or put up a paywall. Um, because that was the only way people were going to read our content. It was the only way that we, that people were going to be able to support us in some way, but we couldn't figure, you know, we, we were creating the water, but you know, Facebook control, Facebook and Google control the pipes. And at the same time, we, there are people who are hired whose specialty is, you know, crafting stories that are going to appear in social media and, and, and crafting headlines. They're going to get a better play in Google. So we're dancing a lot to, to their tune. And part of it is, you know, initial reaction. We have to find a way to struggle and to survive here in this environment. But, but this seems to be something beyond that. You know, we can't just dancing to this, to, to this tune is, is not going to, is not a recipe for, for survival, long-term survival. What does your membership say about this? What are the types of things that, that are concerning to them about the current environment? Yeah, so a couple points. You know, there are many, many more people consuming our content than ever in peak print era, right? It's very common for a major metro, for example, to, their peak print was 2005, 2006, and they may have had circulate, you know, daily print circulation, let's say a major metro of a couple hundred thousand. And yet their monthly uniques now are in the 10, 20 million range, right? So you, even though that's not a perfect apples to apples comparison, many more people are consuming the content. One of the core challenges is most of that online consumption is still subsidized by the declining print business. The print business still throws off revenue and profits that are essentially subsidizing the digital consumption, except that the print business, it's no secret, is declining steadily and will at some point go to, if not zero, go to something close to it. And so we'll have to make a living and a sustainable living off the digital distribution. And then to your point, one of the things we found, one of the biggest inequities in our relationship with the platforms is they get two huge benefits from our content. They get the engagement, meaning people going online to see what's happening in the world and their ability to get data from that engagement, able to sell you ads against other kinds of content, keep you engaged in their platforms. You know, there's a reason why Google search has a special tab at the top called news, right? People want to care about what's happening in the world. They benefit tremendously from people going to their products to consume our product. And secondly, our products are also an antidote to some of their other problems, most particularly misinformation. So 
I mean, the line I always use is, listen, if you've got a fake news problem, guess what? We're in the real news business. We should have a productive engagement because we're helping to solve a problem for you. So there's a lot of value taken out by the platforms that just isn't returned. And, and that is incredible danger because if we don't get more value returned, then you're just going to see this continued massive contraction, particularly at the local la- uh, level, which is just flat out dangerous. You know, we see what a society looks like when it's dominated by misinformation and it's bad, it's dark. And so we got to make sure that doesn't happen. There's nothing impossible about this. The, the platforms, again, they pay for other kinds of content and we have a value to deliver to them. It's just, we need a fairer deal and we should be able to get there. So if this legislation passes or legislation similar to it, what does this look like going forward? I mean, there could go a couple different ways, but you would have the formation of negotiating groups. I've never really thought of it as one big, you know, massive news public negotiating group. It would be probably multiple groups of similarly situated publishers. The ones the ones most in need of collective action are the smallest and local publishers. You know, they they really have no hope of asserting any kind of independent value out of collect outside of collective action. And what would you negotiate over? You'd negotiate over money. That's always a good thing. You know, licensing of content, data, like who gets the data about our readers? What is done with the data? Algorithmic stability, I've called it. You know, the algorithms determine whether and how our content is viewed. And that's totally within the power of the platforms. And, you know, what could you do about algorithmic, at least stability, so you can work around it and really brand presentation. A lot of what happens online is suppressive of the brand such that people don't know where they're getting their news content from. And, you know, those things could all be fairly addressed and I think easily addressed. And we could have a productive engagement with the platforms in a way that helps them and helps us. So again, I think it's mostly been a failure of imagination on Google and Facebook's part about their unwillingness to have a a way for us to to make a living using their products. Okay. So, So Google and Facebook are then compelled to negotiate with whatever these news bodies are, and they come up with a deal. Obviously, part of it's going to be whatever the fees are going to they're going to have to pay, but in return, they're going to be getting content. And then also, you know, I'm surprised that that you bring in the other information about or issues about data, because it's something that never even occurred to me because we do have, you know, newsrooms are also already doing their data, but figuring out a way for us to, to be able to use that data to inform our, our advertising or, or whatever means we are to kind of collect it. Do you see in a, in a scenario like this, some sort of, like, I don't know, ASCAB yeah, yeah, uh, com- comparison, an, organiza- yeah. an organization or something that basically monitors the the platforms to ensure that, hey, you, you ran this story from the New York Times or the, you know, Peoria, whatever, you need to be, you can't do that, or um, that, that there's some sort of level of control in there. I actually do. Again, the two models we have that exist in the world that are most parallel are so music has those bodies like ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, right? On the other side with the local broadcast TV, it's been a bunch of bilateral negotiations. I, I could be wrong, but I don't believe there are those kind of 
bodies in the cable retransmission system. But you know, our our industry is really diffuse, right? Thousands of, of local publishers. So I do think that you will see the formation of essentially uh, organizations that oversee these arrangements and ensure compliance, auditing, among other things. And that's fine. You know, that's, uh, first of all, it's not unprecedented and it's not super complicated. And the platform should want us to succeed with them and we should want to succeed with them. Now, I do want to be clear. I've never seen whatever money or other value we get from the platforms is, is answering all the problems. It shouldn't. It is a source of value that should be returned to publishers, but also publishers are certainly going to be looking for expansion of subscription and reader revenue and events and the whole range of things that could help grow and sustain a news business. But we can't just cut off this one limb just because we're being forced to. So I see it as a completely valid source of value that needs to be returned to publishers in addition to their kind of whole suite of other things. You mentioned broadcasters before and, um, you know, them contacting congressmen, et cetera. And that was because a lot of, you know, because of the FCC and this longstanding understanding that the government had a say in in controlling the, the airways yep. because that was a public, you know, that was a public commodity. That was something that the public owned. And so therefore it needed to be regulated. Is this a form of regulation then on the distribution of the platforms? Is it something that then brings in more government involvement in the platforms? Yeah, it's interesting. You're exactly right. One of the reasons why broadcasters have been so vocal with congressmen is because they were federally regulated, right? And they had, a, and we weren't. And so you have a lot more issues. But we are now regulated by the platforms. I, I call Google and Facebook our regulators because they are. They determine who gets to see our content, how and whether it's monetized, whether the rules around everything about the presentation of our content. So we have two regulators now. And really what we need is some federal backing to ensure that we have at least a fair deal with our regulators. And I've been trying to minimize government involvement. I'm really only asking for a structure to allow us to fight for our futures. I'm not looking for directed outcomes. I'm not looking for the government to tell Google and Facebook how much they should pay. I want a structure that allows us to have some capacity, again, to, to demand fair value. You know, if you look at a range of other solutions that people start to pursue here, particularly all around government funding, at some level, there are places where you could see some government funding solutions that would be helpful. But I think we all have to be very anxious about assuming that the future of news publishing is a government-funded enterprise. That's not what we're looking for, and I think has a tremendous number of dangers attached to it. So we're trying to develop a system with as little government involvement as we can. Okay. I think my follow-up to that other question is the idea of, I mean, does this open the door then for some sort of government regulation of content? No. First of all, likely not be uh, possible under the First Amendment, and we wouldn't want it to be possible. I think it would be part of 
a new and further regulation of the platforms. And we're in a big societal discussion about how these massive companies should be regulated for the betterment of society long-term. First of all, you don't want the government making content decisions. We're already in a world where content gets compensated. You know, music being a, a perfect analogy that, you know, there is a category of content that had to build a compensation system when it was disrupted. And then that system has sustained it for more than a hundred years. I mean, Spotify pays most of its revenues out in licensing fees to news publishers. Why do they do that? They do that because of the system built a hundred years ago <laughs> that basically allows for the monetization of mass distribution of the content. So there's nothing crazy in this. It's just that in particular textual news content never had to have a system like that because we controlled our distribution. Well, we don't anymore. So we need a new system to deal with that. Okay. So what can newsrooms, what can, you know, journalists do to, to support these efforts? You know, I, I talk to journalists all the time uh, about what we're trying to achieve. I think there's a, a tremendous amount of misinformation get, that gets pumped into the system by people who, you know, don't want us to have a, a fair deal. I mean, I, I told you about this crazy big media versus big tech framing. That's just, you know, absurd. But whether it's people are talking about link taxes, which is a ridiculous concept, or you know, one of my most annoying ones is people say you're trying to get advertising dollars back. And I've never, that's never been my <laughs> approach. And it's all kind of stupid and absurd. Who would even say that? Like, that's not, that's, has nothing to do with what we're trying to achieve. So the only thing I'd ask a journalist is if you get into writing about the space, please give me a call. I respond to all journalists immediately. And we, I love to talk about what we're trying to achieve and then in terms of news publishers, again, we've got a wide range in our membership. Yes, we have the, the biggest players, but we have thousands of, of smaller publishers. And when I came into this job, somebody told me, you know, news publishers never agree on anything. This is the absolute cat herding industry. You'll never get everybody to agree. Well, I've gotten to a point where we've got really widespread support for the idea that we need a new deal. And I've been extremely heartened by that. And, you know, and again, this is publishers of all types, digital only, every ideology you can imagine. So everybody's got the common problems and I've just been thrilled by the support we, we've received. So I guess for, again, for journalists, the other thing I'd say is happy to talk to you about it anytime. So what do you see as the likelihood of legislation like this passing in the near future? I actually think pretty high. There's clearly the understanding that this issue of compensation for news content online has to be addressed. The world is moving, right? Europe is moving. Australia is moving. You hear Canada and UK. And the US can't and shouldn't be left behind. And I think there's a lot of good political support driving it in the moment. So I'm actually quite optimistic. Do any of the concerns about, you know, fake news and false stories, is any of that contributing to this, the willingness to making this change? Yeah, I think a key part of it is a really clear understanding that if you don't have good information in the ecosystem, society starts to unwind. And certainly January 6th was an example of that, but COVID misinformation, a number of other things 
I mean, if the last year hasn't crystallized that idea in people's minds, I don't know what will. We need good information to sustain civic society and my members create that information for the system. So I think that's clearer than ever to policymakers. And also, you know, you get to these moments where I'm always happy to engage with critics and people who have other ideas, but mostly very often I, people have criticisms, but then you say, well, what's your answer? And it's the, mostly shrugging shoulders, right? Well, shrugging shoulders is not an option we have right now. We have to drive to answers and conclusions and sort of saying it's hard is not sufficient. And I think there's an understanding that sort of mumbling and saying, boy, this is a hard problem, doesn't cut it in a world where we're losing local publishers every day. And that is flat out dangerous for society. I've been talking to David Chavern, president and CEO of the News Media Alliance, about helping uh, newsrooms to be more sustainable and uh, sort of getting a handle on the platforms and how they uh, distribute our content. David, thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm very happy to do it. Happy to come back anytime. And thank you for thank you for asking me. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.